Hey everyone, welcome back to the Woodworking Podcast. My name is Nick Ferry. I can be found at nickferry.com. I'm joined as usual with a few friends of mine, Jay Bates from jayscustomcreations.com and April Wilkerson from wilkerdoos.com. Hello everyone. Howdy. How are you guys doing today? I'm pretty good. How about That's how good. about y'all? Jay, are you finally over that sickness you've been dealing with? Yes, I am I'm doing great. My voice hasn't really caught up, but I am I'm on cloud 9. I'm fantastic. Ready to talk about positivity instead of nonsense <laughs> of being sick. Stuffiness. Stuffiness. It's for, the, it's for the dogs. Is that the expression? It's for the dogs? It's for the cows? It's not for me, that's for sure. I don't care it's, who it's yeah, for. It's, it's not, not for me, me either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nick, how are you doing? I'm peachy keen. Good. Yep. Peaches are good. Peaches are good. Peaches are good. Oh, and watermelons too. It's the time of year again where watermelons are finally ripening up. Perfect for the heat. So refreshing. I'm not a big watermelon fan. Watermelons are just, I don't know, they're just, they're, they're too messy. Really? Even if you don't seed them, if, if you chop them up correctly to where they're like a, you're eating like a rectangle popsicle almost? Yeah, yeah, probably so. I just, I don't know. It's just not one of my first, uh, first things to choose in the summertime, I guess. I love it. That's a you, fruit that scares me just because it gets too big. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, I've never heard somebody say that. That's hilarious. Well, yeah. it goes back to that that thing about would you rather fight? Uh, what was it? One hundred uh, duck sized horses, or you know? And I'm like, I can imagine a horse sized duck, and it scares me. Yeah, but imagine a hundred <laughs> small little duck sized horses. I could kick them. <laughs> not not a hundred of them. They would attack <laughs> you like ants. Well, I think we've eluded woodworking for long enough. Okay, so Nick, what what are you working on in your shop? <laughs> um, I just finished up uh, a tenon jig that doubles as a mitered spline jig, and that went over pretty well. Um, I really enjoy using that. It uh, a friend of mine that I kind of owed a favor wanted a uh, shadow box, a rather large shadow frame, um, and they were they were dead set on miters. And I just knew that, you know, miters were not going to be strong enough to be supported, you know, from the top. This thing was probably a good 50 pounds hung on the wall. Wow. And so I needed to come up with, uh, you know, a way to sell them on, you know, sticking with miters, but then also to be able to add the spline. So I made kind of a simple triangle that uh, attaches to my table saw sled to where one side is a 45-degree slope. And that, uh, you know, then you can use like a flat grind, you know, table saw blade and put slots in the miters so that you could put floating tenons in there. That worked out pretty well. And then the other side, being it's 90 degrees to the blade, worked as a really nice kind of almost an impromptu uh, tenoning jig. But then I'm also working next on a router jig to evenly space dados with a router. Um, and uh, that's going to help me do some of the dados I need to do in my my hardware organizer, my much anticipated hardware organizer. Very cool. You know, I saw on Instagram your uh, your evenly spaced dados, and I was wondering what you're using for it. So you're doing it with a handheld router, huh? Yep. Yeah, just with a trim router and a quarter inch. Um, I should say a quarter inch down spiral bit because that's what I used to cut them. But I used a straight bit to register the holes. But uh, that'll be out in the video because a spiral bit, there's no two planes that are a quarter inch apart other than the tip, so you can't register off of it. It makes more sense in the video, but yeah. So you're having any dust collection issues or, or dust, I guess, evacuation issues using a down cut bit versus an up cut? I know you'll get a cleaner uh, exit cut on the surface, you know, but 
but uh, are you getting any dust buildup or dust clogging down? Yeah, for sure. And oddly enough, I have the Bosch Colt uh, trim router, and there's that thing really has no good um, dust collection to it. I think if I could evacuate the chips at the point of the cut, I think I wouldn't have any problems. But there's only a small opening to where you can see the bit. So if you were to cut, if you were to cover that with a dust collector, you wouldn't be able to see your cut. So what what are you doing to work around the the buildup? Um, I was just going down the the whole dado, and the you know it wasn't burning or anything like that. So then I was just blowing it out with compressed air afterwards because mm-hmm. even a even a bench brush was you know you had to really get in there to brush it because it was jammed in the hole pretty good. But that's the reason I went with the down cut because I didn't want any um, chip up on the veneer face of the plywood. I'm I was thinking here. Um a have you you've seen my of course i've got the same bulge colt router you've seen my little shop back dust attachment that i put on bottom of it you know there's hot glued to it i didn't think that was on the the colt yeah it's on the colt it's on there um the yours came with the edge guide attachment with it right yep yeah i i took the actual just a small shop vac like a one of those ports that are wide that you clean off a surface with and I hot glued it to the bottom. And of course, it's black. You can't see through it. But my thinking is it it might be beneficial to make some type of maybe like a clip-on shroud for your shop vac on front. Yes, it would eliminate your visibility. But if you have the jig set up and tracking perfectly to where it's not necessarily um, – uh, you don't have to direct the cut any, you might be able to get away with something temporary to – to hopefully pull all those chips out and not really have to see what's going on, you know? Yeah, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a problem as far as performing the cut. It was just a, a pain to be left with the chips and the dado. Uh, oh, yeah. But my thought, my thought was I was actually going to drill a hole in the back, the opposite side of the, uh, the you know, like the visual port to where you can see the bit. I'm actually going to drill a hole and put kind of a 45-degree angled up piece and uh, epoxy that in place, I think, is going to be my going to be my problem fixer there. I think that might do well because a lot of people do have those routers, and that is one of the main concerns. I was just thinking of that because MDF dust is like my number one enemy. I cannot mm-hmm. stand working with MDF just because of the dust. Yeah, yeah, I don't work with it any longer. Is that what you're making it from, Nick? I thought no. that looked like plywood. No, yeah, it is plywood, and uh, but he's just referenced, you know. Yeah. I'm guessing he's referenced, but you know I totally agree. And MDF dust is probably one of the worst um, things for the lungs that you know we work with. So yeah, I think I got that mixed up. I, I recall seeing. I think isn't don't you have the jig made from MDF? Uh, yeah, the jig is made from. Yeah, hardboard, that's yeah. where I was. I was thinking that. My bad. Well, technically it's MDF, so I shouldn't say hardboard because hardboard is HDF, but not to get too technical. <laughs> but I, I show two variations on how to make the jig. One is. Uh, from the Instagram picture, well, I had a couple Instagram pictures, but one of them is to where it's just kind of a guide that stays stationary. And then the second portion, I added a surround so that it encapsulates the base to where you don't have to hold the router nearly as much because it cannot move at all. I kind of friction fit the thing around it. And then the, it slides in the first dado and you can do all your subsequent dados. I'll post a link in the uh, the article about that as well. So when do you think that you're going to be done with the, uh, now that you're cutting in all the datos, when do you think you're going to be done with the actual project? That's that's hard to say because that one I'm gonna, I want plans available for. So I've been working on the plans um, for probably close to a month, you know, mm-hmm. not a solid month. But uh, I'm hoping that'll be the following week 
that'll have that argument. I'm like, my wife is like crazy, you know, she's like, she comes out to my shop and she's like, you're a kid in a candy store. Your, your face is all lit up over this thing. And she goes, I just can't wait for you to get this done, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I said, that's, that's the whole passion behind all this woodworking. And to have that level of organization that I've never had before. Oh yeah. is just crazy. Like I'm so looking forward to it. It'll definitely be worth it too. When things are nice and organized, it's just like, it's, oh my gosh, it's so nice. I'm wanting to organize my office so bad, but I'm at a standpoint on that or standstill on that project too. But yeah, organization, man, if you can get, uh, most of us start working in shops that are cluttered spaces and because you just, you know, you don't automatically start off with a great organization system, but once you have a shop to where everything has a place, everything is, is, uh, you know, remotely put up and easily accessible and you can, you can find what you need, man, it's so nice. It is so nice. Yeah. It increases productivity so much. And it just like, yeah. it, it increases my um, enjoyment in the shop because I don't get flustered or frustrated trying to look for stuff, trying to move around stuff. Um, so yeah, it increases productivity, but also enjoyment. And that's actually what I've been up to this week is making, I did about four different, <clears throat> excuse me, I had about four or five different things collecting in my shop that did not have a dedicated spot to go. I mean, simple little things, but still things nonetheless. So I took some time and... Uh, just spent some time organizing my shop, and that's actually going to be this week's video. So the one video will be the four items, or? Mm-hmm. It's actually like six items, but really, I only had to build like four homes. The other ones were simple, like um, if it comes, if something comes in like a nice case, then typically I just screw the case directly to the wall. Or like, um, I, of course, I have a pegboard. So if I can find an attachment that will store it easily on my pegboard, then I'll just do that. But all of the other things I actually had to make a dedicated home for, like the bench cookies and some right angle uh, fences. And now I forget what else. Oh, yeah, T-Track table accessories. That's interesting. You you still use the original cases. It's one of the first things I do is take it out of the case and store the case somewhere out of sight and never to be seen again. Well, it only depends. Like all the tools, I won't, I won't like power tools, case goes immediately away. The only two cases that I still have are my, um, my pocket hole jig one and my biscuit joiner one, only because it nicely stores all of the biscuits. Um, but other than that, all the cases are thrown away. And then, but like specifically what I'm talking about, as far as the ones that I did keep on this go round were, um, I, I don't know if they're called brass gauges, but they're like little brass spacer blocks that you can adjust, use to adjust the height of your dado stack. What are those? What are the, what are the technical names for them? Gauge blocks. Gauge blocks. Yeah. So, um, the, the gauge blocks came in a really nice case with the cutout and the foam and a lid. And so I just simply hung that up on my wall next to my table saw. I mean, there was no reason for me to have to redesign something to hold all of those gauge blocks whenever the case does just nicely. That makes sense. That makes yeah, sense. But- but I mean, if something is big and bulky, then like a power tool case, I just, I, of course, chunk it. Yeah. Now I keep some of the bags because the bags you can use, like, you know, like the, like the combo kit bags or, uh, well, I guess most things come in bags these days. Um, <clears throat> but those are handy to just put anything in regardless of size. And I've got a couple of those. I don't use them often, but they're not worth, they're worth holding on to, in my opinion. Yeah. You both bring up a very good point. It's definitely something I, I kind of, have taken Jay's approach over the year. Anytime you get a hard case or even a bag for me, 
that pretty much, you know, brand new gets set aside in case I ever sell the tool and that way I have it and it never gets used ever again. Just because of the inconsistency of size of all these, you know, different bags and cases. And that's definitely one thing, uh, Festool does right with their sustainers is being able to build a rack of, of equally proportionate, you know, size things. And that's actually, you know, my hardware organizer. That's kind of what stemmed it was I had all these different cases and bags and blister packs of hardware and I wanted everything equal size to where I didn't have to play Tetris every time I put something in a drawer. Yeah. I like that hardware organizer idea you got going on. And, we, we talked about this a couple of days ago and uh, the way you have it set up to where it's expandable. So if you don't have all of this stuff right now, you just, you know, and if you get something or find a new organization system or something that you want organized, all you got to do is just go get another case and pop it in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, if you were to go and buy everything you need, it's kind of pricey, but my, my recommendation is going to be, you know, build the cabinet and however many, you know, cases you have, maybe it's two, three, four, five. Uh, but if you have, if you find yourself in the shop a particular weekend and say, oh man, my electrical stuff, my electrical connectors or, or whatever it is, is all, you know, just disorganized, go and snag one or two cases, organize it and put it in the cabinet. You don't have to build any new shelves. You don't have to add French cleats or find a spot for it. You have a dedicated spot. So it's a, it's a, it's an organic kind of living creature in your shop, so to speak. It's a good idea. I like that. It, yeah, it's great. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing the finished thing. Jay, what are you working on in the shop? Not much in the shop. Um, I, I, like I said, I wasn't feeling too well the past little while. So Monday I went to the doctor and uh, got all that straightened out. So I didn't want to overdo it. And I'm trying to stay away from the shop, which means a bunch of SketchUp work. And the project that I am most excited to get done that I don't think I will get done anytime soon is my computer desk for the office. Um, it, there's a couple setbacks with it. Number one, uh, I don't have that much plywood to complete it, and I really don't feel like making another trip uh, an hour and 15 minutes north to go get more plywood right now. It's just not something I want to do right now. So that's kind of on a on a hold. And um, also the design of it. I, I've got so many things that in my opinion, are requirements for the design, not only for me to use uh, personally in my own home, but also to make it more accessible for other people uh, as well. And I'm just at a a few little hurdles on that project. So it's kind of on the back burner, but always something to think about it. So for what I'm doing this week, I absolutely have no clue. It's, It's odd for me to absolutely not have an idea of what I'm about to do, but that's just the case this week. So I've got a couple things that would be nice to get done, but which one will be, I don't know. Like I want to restore, uh, an old Stanley Bailey, Stanley Bailey five and a half. No, it's a number five, not five and a half, uh, belongs to Sean Stone. Uh, it's in pretty good condition, but I like to do a restoration video on it. Maybe make a shooting board for it because it is a decent sized plane to use for a shooting board or a, uh, a how to do dovetails without a magnetic guide video or like a birdhouse or something like that. My wife wants a couple birdhouses and that's a project that I always like, eh, it's just a little birdhouse. I don't want to make a little birdhouse, but I was thinking about making like a birdhouse, you know what I'm saying? Like, like a complete replica maybe of my house or something like that and have multiple different, like, you know, you can go in the garage, that bird can go in the, in the, the, the main living area, maybe one in the back, you know, just make it, make it fun. It may be a small little birdhouse project, but you know, make it fun. Yeah. Hey, if you make your garage, you're going to have to either have like a table saw in there or, 
your workbench for the bird to sit on or something like that. Oh, that's what I should do. I should. Oh, oh, here's an idea. I get one of those uh, solar powered lights, stick it on top for the solar part and then put a light on the inside and make a full replica of the of the shop with a plexiglass door so the birds can just see my shop. They just don't get to go inside. <laughs> no but birds allowed. No <laughs> birds allowed. It's a birdhouse where no birds are allowed. Going back to that hand plane restoration, is it pretty beat up or is it you know metal? I mean, is it pretty rusty or not really? Not really. I mean, I'm showing these guys on camera right now. It's not. It's not bad shape. There's no. There's some surface rust. Um, no pitting. Both of the handles are all chewed up really bad, and they need to be replaced. Uh, the blade is is pretty well rusty, but not not horrible pitting. So it's not going to be like a uh, a full blown like sandblasted and repainted and all this stuff um it, it, it'll, it'll be you know make it make it shiny need some new handles and make it cut like a dream nice and is it yours or are you giving it back to sean and you're just doing it for him as a favor oh it's 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 sean's i'm, I'm gonna give it back okay. to him he um i've been over to his shop several times and he had it like way up on top of the shelf almost as a decoration and i'm like no, that can't be a decoration, man. You got to get this thing rocking and rolling and you're going to love it. You're going to be using it. And I was like, man, you need to restore it. And he's like, oh, one day. And I'm like, yeah. one day, nothing. Let me take it. I'll do it for you. <laughs> That's cool. The reason I brought it up is because I was talking with Patrick from Patrick's workshop and he's restoring his dad's old table saw. Oh, and, cool. Uh, yeah, I'll make sure there's a link. He's got a really cool channel. Um, and we were talking about vinegar as a rust remover, and he went out and bought five gallons of vinegar and actually set the whole table saw top in a tub, let it sit overnight, and he came back to me the next day. He's like, holy crap, does this work like a dream? Wow. And I said, I had a, I had a feeling that you'd really like that. I recently did that for a uh, windmill top that my mom brought me. She wanted a windmill, but the top was... The top that she found was just completely rusted, so I did that same thing. It works like a dream. The only hassle I find with it is uh, getting a tub big enough for whatever it is you're trying to remove. It's not bad for like pliers or you know something small, a hammerhead maybe, but for larger items, it can be an inconvenience. Great way to make like a perfume or a cologne too. Huh? <laughs> no, <laughs> hashtag bad joke. Go ahead. <laughs> hashtag I over my head. <laughs> I think he ended up using a um, concrete or cement mixing trough, like a tray. Oh. I think they're about, they're roughly like two foot by three foot and maybe, you know, eight to 10 inches deep. So mm -hmm. that's interesting. I've never, I've actually never heard of vinegar for rust removal, but any type of rust removal situation that I've encountered hasn't been a, 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 a submerged situation like rust, surface rust on a table saw. You know, you just spray some stuff on top of it. Um, I've always used, um, what is it? There's this off-brand WD-40 stuff that I can get locally that uh, just cuts through rust like it's nobody's business. It's just some no-name WD-40 stuff, but I've sprayed it up. My, my, my table saw and bandsaw have rusted several times in this shop from leaving the garage door open overnight accidentally or leaving it open for when it rains for like a half hour and it just destroys anything that's cast iron here. But I've always sprayed that stuff on there, let it soak for three or four hours and taken a green... Uh, Scott Bright? Yeah, whatever they're called, those those green scrub pads. And it just mm -hmm. it just removes the rust completely. Not, not like You'll sandpaper. You'll have to find the name for us. Yeah, I'll try and find it. I buy it at a local store, so I don't know if it's uh, um, just something generic knockoff or whatever. But uh, I've, I've had good results also with PB Blaster, too. 
something else that I've used is a made making a baking soda paste to where you take uh, some baking soda and then mix a little bit of water in it to where it's not runny. And it's almost like the consistency of, um, I don't know, sour cream or peanut butter. And then you can just take your hands and smear it on whatever's rusted and let it, let it sit until it's completely dried. And then you can um, use like a steel, either a Scotch-Brite pad, Scotch-Brite pad or a steel brush in order to uh, remove it. You guys ever use, speaking of baking soda, you ever use uh, baking soda in conjunction with uh, CA glue? No, what does that do? It it almost turns it into kind of a plastic. If you you know if you mix it, if you you need to fill something in like a plastic. I know a lot of guys do it on their guitars for the um, the nut on the top of the neck of the guitar. And uh, yeah, it's it's helped me out a few times. I just wish they made baking soda in different colors. <laughs> That's interesting. I bet you could dye it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that would work, but. Yeah, it's that it made me think of it when you said baking soda. I haven't used it in uh, CA glue, but actually anything really. But I've heard when, when you said that it, it kind of rung a bell. When I used to work on pool tips and ferrules, um, you know, you could replace a ferrule with uh, some quick set epoxy, and <clears throat> to reduce the uh, the visibility of a glue line, some people put a little bit of baking powder. Uh, into their epoxy so that as it's glued together with the as the ferrule is glued on you don't necessarily see an epoxy glue line you see it's it's more white so it blends with the ferrule nice hmm. i'm gonna have to try that because i need to actually replace all of mine that's a really good tip jay yeah it's almost like um i like kyle toast vases vases vase. uh, because he puts the, vase i like his vase because uh, he puts that layer of black veneer i guess in between each one of his segments and it's just after he turns it it just looks stunning yeah yeah any type of little pin line or you know just a small accent like that it's a very elegant look for sure yeah it's almost like tattoos and just having a really nice bolded outline mm-hmm. <laughs> right away april goes to the tattoos uh, <laughs> well i went from the pull cues and then that drew the line in my mind to um tattoos well never mind yeah, I guess. Well, just uh, it, then it drew to, it made me think of Kyle's bases, and then it made me think of a nice bolded outline tattoo. I know uh, April and I have tattoos. Jay, you have any tattoos? No, I don't have any. I grew up wanting them. Like in high school, I remember wanting to like, I was so into them. I think I thought they were awesome. I still think tattoos are great, but I would just, uh, I think it was more of a financial thing. Like I couldn't, I just couldn't justify spending money on a tattoo when, uh, when, when I was, uh, I'm not going to say like crazy poor, but I didn't ever make much money in my life before this business. And I was trying to be as responsible as possible with money. I guess that's a better way to say it. Wow. I'll, uh, maybe, uh, maybe I'll have to call my buddy up when you guys are in Green Bay. I got a buddy of mine that's a pretty much a world-renowned tattoo artist. So, oh, yeah. yeah? He's, uh, he operates the biggest tattoo convention in the world every year. So, cool. so maybe, maybe we'll get Jay tatted up. Yeah, my wife will love that. We can all three get matching tattoos. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I get to pick the tattoo, though. <laughs> I'm not getting like a butterfly or a frog or something tattooed on me. Do I look like I would get a butterfly or a frog? <laughs> a big old Nick Ferry Steve-O face. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, it's funny, though, that when you said uh, in high school that's what you wanted. I Oddly enough, this is no joke. And I, I guess it took my mom forever to find this because this was before the internet. But um, gold chains were kind of the fashion when I was growing up in middle school and high school. Oh, yeah. And for um, like seventh or eighth grade, she got me a gold chain with a circular saw pendant 
three-dimensional circular saw pendant. And if I can find it, I will get a picture on the article. It was just so killer that I, you know, that was the type of kid. I did, um, oddly enough, and my wife's going to kill me for saying this, but I was uh, landscaping my, I was putting in my parents' lawn a few years ago, and I still had the necklace, but I just didn't wear the pendant as much. And uh, I told her, I said, hold on to this, uh, my necklace, uh, because, you know, with all, I was driving around a skid steer and digging holes and all sorts of stuff, and I was worried it'd get lost, and it fell out of her pocket and got tilled into the, the backyard of my parents. Oh, no. Yeah. So it's lost. It's, yeah, it's somewhere in their landscape. You should get a metal detector. It's totally worth going on a scavenger hunt. In fact, that would be a fun <laughs> little adventure to rope the kids into, I bet. Find yeah. dad's circular saw pendant and the winner gets a hundred bucks. <laughs> my my only fear is though, is that one of the bottoms of the, the four foot hole that I put the fence posts in, but. The winner um, gets to wear it, make your kids wear it to school. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, yeah, I just, I thought that was funny that I've been into it that much to where other kids were. We're getting, I don't even know what they were getting, but in here I'm walking around school, seventh grade, with a circular saw gold chain. That's cool. You know you're going to be a cool kid if. <laughs> yeah, wood pimping it out. You yeah. Know? <laughs> Man, there's so many, like, what were you thinking stories about high school and junior high with me? It's nuts. <laughs> I think it's with everybody, though. No, I don't want to share any. Let's go. Oh, it's totally everybody. <laughs> so what is uh, uh, this garbage shed and plans you have, April? Oh yeah, yeah. So that's something else I did because uh, I'm actually I'm so I'm so happy, but I'm actually ahead of my schedule. I'm building a garbage can shed, uh, just like a small little structure in my backyard to store my garbage cans in, so that they look a little bit nicer. And uh, so yeah, I got most of it completed, but then it's starting to rain today, and uh, it's supposed to be raining tomorrow and I believe Saturday. So I ended up having to stop. So more than likely, I'm gonna have to split it into two videos. But, yep, that's something else I'm working on, working on the plans or working on the models so that I can pass them off and Cody can work on the plans. Nice. So you are still working ahead. I am. I'm trying to at least. I'm trying. My goal is to at least get a project and a half done every week so that every two weeks I'll be a full project ahead, another full project ahead. I flip-flop on the whole, like, being nice to be ahead kind of thing because for the past, like, three or four weeks I've been ahead and I've noticed that that just makes me lazy because I can put stuff off like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm ahead. I don't have to do this right now. I can do it a little bit later. And then last week was like a fresh reminder of uh, uh, of just the the controlled chaos of you've got to get something done and that, that little pressure. And yeah. I, I loved it. It was... It, you did? <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, because I've noticed like if, if I've got time to slack off, then I'm probably going to slack off and then I'll bore myself to death to where getting the ball rolling again is, is miserable. I know exactly what you mean as far as needing the pressure. And I think that's why it's taking me so long to be able to get ahead. Because if I were ever able to get a project or even half of a project ahead, I would just do exactly what you did and just slack off. But the past like three weeks, I've really been telling myself, no, I'm not going to take a day and just veg <laughs> out on, on the computer. I am going to build something. So what I'm trying to do is like, even though today it's raining, I'm like sitting here designing the next thing that I'm going to be building so that I can go to the shop either later today or tomorrow and build during the day. And then I'll do computer work 
and like the, the later part of the afternoon and then take the evening off. So I'm really trying to stick to this schedule because I don't, I, I'm with you. I don't mind the pressure. It makes me work really well, but whenever it's so regular, like after a few weeks of doing it and then a few months of doing it, I just become really stressed out and it, it completely t- starts taking away all the fun. Yeah. There's, I mean, I mean, there's two sides to that coin, obviously. So yeah, like you said, it, it, it's nice to have a, a break from the grind, but man, does it feel good to just have momentum and there, it's just, you're just a, a ball rolling downhill, you know? You're just a ninja knocking it out. Just a ninja. A ninja. <laughs> I'm, I'm like the complete opposite. I, I don't know if it's like ADD, but I get started on one project and I get about three quarters of the way through and I get excited about something else. So that's my downfall. You know, I'll start one thing and I'll send, ooh, look, something shiny. And then I'll start that project, you know. You've mentioned that working on um, uh, multiple projects at once. I cannot do that. It, I cannot I cannot start something else until this, what I'm working on right now is out of my way. It just drives me nuts. The only way that yeah. it works for me is if it's something like, like that one week I did three or four projects all at once. It was because this glue was setting up and this paint was drying, so I might as well go and start on this. And then whenever the glue was done, then I would move that to the next step and put on another coat of paint and let that be dry and then move on to something else. So that's the only way it works for me. But if it's just like you're trying to balance two at once and maybe make all the table saw cuts for both projects at the same time, I wouldn't be able to do that. I would get it all mixed up, I think. Well, one one thing, too, I, I would probably recommend to anyone that, that does like weekend projects uh, find something that you're excited about and then put two or three things before that that maybe is on the honey-do list. Because that's like how I am with my hardware organizer right now. I'm super excited to get on that. And I keep telling myself, like, okay, I got two other projects that I got to get out of the way, get them done before I can start. So I, I hurry up and get those done. That way I can start the project I want. That's a pretty good idea. Yeah, that was how that was with that shadow box. I That wasn't, you know, it was a quick turnaround. I think I had two days to make it. And I didn't even get any pictures, film anything, and I just knock it out, make sure that it's done, and like, okay, as soon as I get this done, then I can start working on my hardware organizer. So you got a, uh, real quick, uh, before we get into questions, you got a new truck I saw on Instagram. Yes, 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 yes. Well, I am a, so in love with it. A, a new to you truck, I should say. New it's to not me. a new truck. Yeah, but you, I mean, the backstory to this is I've been looking for the right Chevy. I've been set on a 67 to 72 body, and I was actually set on a short bed for the longest time, for like probably the five or six years I've been I've been thinking about buying one, looking around at lots and, and Craigslist, and um, I, I actually always wanted a yellow and white one, but I found this green and white one, and it's a long bed. And, but as soon as I saw it, I was like, that's the one I got to go pick it up and get this. It was only 30 minutes down the road from me. It was insane. I know it was meant to be. It really that was. Is, that is nuts. Cause I know. Uh, yeah. We, we have to drive everywhere in Mississippi to find anything of a, of a deal. Oh, I mean, typically here too. I mean, I was looking into Oklahoma and Arkansas and Louisiana, like I'm not, I'm not worried. Like if, if I want a vehicle, typically I'm really specific. Like I did the same thing whenever I was looking for my yellow and black mini, I was really specific on what I wanted and I would just go wherever it was to go pick it up. But yeah, I couldn't believe it It was 30 minutes down the road and it's been posted online for 30 days. And so I was thinking to myself, I bet you anything, this truck is gone and the guy didn't take the ad off, but I called him and he still, he still had it. And in fact, he said, well, I actually have somebody coming to, to look at it in 30 minutes. And I said, look, please let me come look at it first. 
I really am motivated to buy this truck. You don't understand. I've been looking for the right one for five or six years. Please let me have first grabs at it. He goes, okay. <laughs> so I went and picked it up. <laughs> Is it a C10? Yeah, it's a C10. And it, I mean, it's just perfect. Like it feels like you're driving down the road, like driving a couch. It's so comfortable <laughs> and amazing. And it sounds perfect and it looks perfect. It's straight as an arrow. And I'm just, I'm so in love with it. I like to stand outside drinking a beer, looking at my truck, <laughs> watering, <laughs> watering my grass just so I can look at the, the truck a little bit longer. <laughs> oh man, that'd be so awesome if we could have a cameo of like Matthew McConaughey come by your shop for a video and be like, all right, all right, all right. All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally picturing that movie, Dazed and Confused, April riding around town. <laughs> so is this more of a, a, a personal truck or is it business truck to just, you know, work and haul what, you know, haul yeah, stuff around? Yeah, haul, haul everything. I didn't want anything restored. I like the idea of having like a beat up older truck. I didn't want something with a, you know, a tree growing through it, uh, all, all rusted out with holes through it. But I didn't want something restored, brand new and shiny either. So it really is perfect. Yeah, it's going to be my daily driver. I was actually going to sell the Mini and use this one as my you know, any, anytime I need a vehicle, but I wouldn't be an, I wouldn't be able to get enough for the mini. So I'm just going to end up keeping it and having a little car in case I want it. But yeah, the truck's going to be my work truck, personal truck, anything. I mean, we're going to end up selling the Tacoma. Very cool. The wife and I looked at trucks, I don't know, about six months ago. It's not in our budget yet, but uh, right now we're a one car family and she's got a little SUV. So any plywood type projects I've been doing, it had to be extremely planned out, which is, is not, you know, impossible. And I, and I kind of hate it when people say, well, I don't have any way to haul plywood. Well, if it depends, it depends on how motivated you are. I mean, you got to know somebody or, you know, with certain projects, I would go in with my cut list. Exactly. And this is, I mean, this is pretty redneck, but I, I would go in and I'd have my circular saw and my, my straight edge and I would cut it down to size in the parking lot of what I needed. That way it fit in the car. So, hey, you oh, got to yeah. do what you got to do. It all depends on how motivated you are to get it done. I mean, I've done the same thing, Nick, as far as hauling it home in my mini whenever my, the Tacoma was down. I, and I just took my cut list. And shoved it all into the back of my mini. Yeah. I had a 1990 Ford Festiva and selling that was the biggest mistake of my life. I absolutely loved that car. So when I had it uh, back in the bachelor days, uh, I stripped the interior completely. Uh, it's a really, really lightweight car, but you remove as much as possible and it makes it a little, you know, a little bit more sporty. We're talking about a Festiva here, but it's a little bit more sporty. And then, um, so there's no back seat and then the passenger seat, you could fold it like flat, like it's, like it's a, uh, like it's a, a bed or something. Well, at that point you lift the hatch and you can stack like a dozen full eight foot two by fours under the dash on the passenger side and still shut the hatch. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's funny cause you like, you go to a hardware store and you're picking up some two by fours and you pull around back to pick them up and they're just laughing at you and then you shut it and then they're, they're so confused. It's awesome. <laughs> But we we've we've driven home a couple of times with with uh, plywood on on the roof of that, and I don't recommend doing it at all. But we've done it a couple of times. That's what I was going to say. I can't remember whether we talked about that or not when I visited you. But uh, to weld up like a four foot by eight foot roof rack for that to where it has to be supported by the hood. With oh man, that would be so awesome to be able to just drive to the home center and pick up two, three sheets uh, and put it like pretty much cover the Festiva. Man, I, don't, you, I would totally do it. If you put two sheets on top of that thing and then take a corner too hard, you're rolling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was a That's fun too funny. Fun. 
Well, we could talk about that stuff all day. Do you guys want to get into some comments real quick or questions? Yeah. Uh, Gary in San Jose wanted to, he had a comment uh, last time we were talking about uh, air compressors and piping them into the shop. And he had mentioned about draining air compressors. And do you guys give much thought into draining your air compressors? I do it whenever I think about it, uh, which this one is brand new, so I haven't drained it yet. But whenever I was using the old 60-gallon, uh, I would guess maybe every two or three months. I wasn't I wasn't super scheduled about it. I've got a, um, see, I've got one of those 20-gallon uh, oilless that just rolls around. And I've had it since 2007-ish, and I've never drained it at all. I don't use it all the time, though, so it's, it's not something that runs constantly. Uh, I do have right out of the compressor one of those water separators, and it's got a slow leak, so if I do fill it up and um, uh, use it as I need and then turn it off and go inside for the night, then it, it, it empties the tank air, uh, but it's one of those to where you can, you can move it around by hand, and if you hear water sloshing inside it, and obviously, you know, you know to drain it. I've never felt that in this particular compressor. I've had one prior to it that was very similar to it, and I could definitely tell that there's water in that one occasionally, and I did drain it. But this one, I mean, I use my compressor like, I don't know, three times a year. So I, I'm not the person to ask on that one, really. Well, mine's a 60-gallon oiled upright, and I, I use it daily. There's no doubt about that. And But I'm not perfect, so I... I uh, I would like to say I drain it as often as I can remember. It's actually in my basement, so uh, it's down a flight of stairs. But I'm down there quite a bit. I would say a few times a month, so I try to drain it. I did have, at one point, the automatic drain valve attached to the bottom from Harbor Freight. And that's just cheap brass. It was... Uh, it just, it leaked and then any, you know, I went to tighten it and it just completely shattered into pieces and it was just complete garbage. Uh, but Gary was recommending either uh, an automatic drain valve or a timed drain valve. And I'll make sure to put a, um, uh, a link in the article about that because yeah, there are automatic drain valves that work off of the, um, you know, the equalizer, you know, the, pressure equalization so that you know when the compressor shuts off it basically automatically drains it and uh, then there's timed valves which is basically just a, an electronic time ball valve but yeah it's one thing i could definitely improve on and uh you know we're not we're not you know all, all three of us are just people out in our garage doing stuff it's we're not uh, this pristine perfect yeah like go out and drain it i i because i almost had an argument with another person about they had a small pancake compressor and they would turn it on for literally five minutes and do you know three or four brad nails and then they'd go through the complete manual from the pancake compressor on how to shut it down and 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 take the water out and decompress and i'm like man that's too much work for me. Then. Yeah, I agree. And in fact, uh, so I know it's a little bit off topic, but kind of something similar is uh, since my air compressor and also my dust collector are now stored outside of my shop, it's one of those things to where I just, I'm going to have to like set a reminder for myself since I never go back there unless I need to do something. So like the other day I noticed in my table saw cabinet, uh, sawdust was starting to build up. I was like, what is going on? Well, it turns out ever since I've installed my dust collector, I have forgotten to empty the can. So it was completely full. And I thought, oh, yeah, I guess I need to make a reminder to come back here and empty this out as well. So maybe I'll get on the schedule of every time I empty that out, I'll also drain my air compressor. But Or I could just 
be awesome and buy one of those <laughs> automatic timed ones. It's a, another thing too is a buddy of mine that that operates a metalworking shop. Now, granted, a hair different than a woodworking shop, but they actually he actually employed a uh, preventative maintenance schedule. And so a lot of times it's just grease zerks and having it, you know, grease certain things. But that way it's written in stone, so to speak. And he knows, hey, Wednesday I need to do X, Y, Z. And Wednesday next month I need to do A, B, C. And so that that might help for some home shops. You know, hey, replace detention the bandsaw blade or drain the air compressor. You know. Wax your table saw. Yeah, I mean, with phones nowadays, you could totally, you know, set a reminder in your calendar to ding. There you go. Wax your table saw thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know, that sounds that sounds like a weird Mr. Miyagi thing. Ding, wax your table saw. But <laughs> we have another question? Yeah. Let's see. For the question part, the three of you talked about your PC station, desktop. Will it be possible for you to give us some kind of quick backstage tour showing your editing equipment, room softwares? Just a little video like Jay has done about his camera gear and tips and tricks. Those videos are uh, they're, they're interesting to a very select few and, and really it's nothing special. My office, I'll show my office when I get to making the, the, the new office desk that I'm going to make. It's just an unorganized room with computer crap. Um, but as far as like the editing equipment, uh, software, I, I've did a little bit of that in my article for that. Um, but that's honestly just the boring stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, and I feel like a lot of us use the same stuff. Like I think all three of us are using the exact same mic right now. Um, but also I think, oh, we're not. No, me and you are. Nick's using a uh, shotgun mic. I gotcha. Um, but I think a lot of us also put effort into linking our equipment on our websites. I, I, I know I, I do. I list everything as far as even down to what computer I use, what software I use what microphones, what camera, SD cards, external hard drives, all of that. So maybe yeah. if you're curious about somebody, first check out their webpage and see. Because I'm with Jay. I think putting together a video, it would be a, a niche of just our viewers. Of, because most of our viewers are interested in building and not putting together videos. Yeah, I, I second what Jay said about it's a very small, I mean, woodworking as a niche is small as far as the general population. And then you say how many people would be interested in woodworking editing i mean i might do something in the future to try and show my process that i go through but same thing with me if you go to uh, my website and go to uh, the about me there's a my tools section at the very bottom it's my recording equipment editing equipment and all that but i i would say a better resource would be uh, same thing stay on youtube but type in like a good video editing software because there's channels that do nothing but how to make videos it has nothing to do with their woodworking in. It's just how to make videos, how to shoot them, how to light them, how to uh, get a good microphone going. Uh, I know Film Riot is one that I followed over the years. And uh, I'm trying to think of the other one. Indie Mogul, I guess they're bringing that channel back. It was on hiatus for a few years. Really? Should be back in about a week. Yeah. That's cool. So, uh, so yeah, it, definitely check some of those channels out. And, uh, you know... It, whether it's for making movies, making videos, all sorts of stuff, I think that they do a much better job uh, showing that. And that question was from uh, John Martin in France, by the way. All right, next up, Derek asks, my shop is effectively a deck at a at the cottage with a small building to store my tools. When I work, I pull uh, stuff out on the deck, and when I'm done, I put it away. Uh, this means I don't have a dedicated workbench, and I'd really like one. Uh, Jay's workbench is, well... 
my style workbench, not necessarily my exact workbench, uh, is something that he'd like to make, just a solid wood workbench. The problem is it would have to live outdoors. All right, for that recommendation, um, you have to take in the obviously take the elements into consideration. So if you're making a big slab top workbench that's going to be sitting out in the elements, it's going to move drastically. And then also, if it's going to stay outside, you got to keep water off of it or let water drain through it. So for those two things right there, I'd recommend taking a look at John Heiss' website, ibuildit.ca. We'll put a link in the article for this, but he's got a solid wood outdoor workbench that he's uh, this is the second one that he's built specifically to stay outside. He had one at his last house. Uh, when he moved to the new house, he built a new one. Uh, but uh, we will have a link to that, and that's something that I do recommend. Uh, I would recommend, yeah, I mean, obviously having a solid top or plywood where you can have standing water is going to be an issue unless this particular workbench is sitting underneath some overhang to where you're not going to have you know moisture buildup but i don't know if you guys you know those benches to where they take like dimensional lumber on the top and or the seat of the bench i guess is every other and then the leg is every other space between it and all these boards are on edge that's something i would recommend if somebody wanted to make a top that's what uh john heist did oh okay it's, very it's, cool I, 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 yeah it's, it's just it's the same thing as what you're what you're alluding to, where you have gaps all over the place. Yeah, yeah. That way you don't, you know, have any pooling water, and you still at least have a flat surface to reference if you're having to cut sheet goods on it or planks or anything like that. And finally, David Joyner asks, I'm planning a dust collector install for a new shop. One thing I have yet to decide on is ceiling versus wall mount for the pipe. Uh, from videos, it looks like ceiling mount is pretty popular, but I noticed... Uh, Jay, and then also uh, April, I think yours is run across like a knee wall. It is. Um, and that looks more convenient. Uh, now, th the main reason for me to set up like I did when I started the shop is uh, the number one important tool in my shop is the camera. And I did not want any drops being in front of my camera or getting in the way. So that's the primary reason I went along the wall. And I, I knew that my, my shop is relative, you know, air quotes here, relatively small for a, a, a full shop. So I wouldn't have any issues with the run being too long. Yeah, I, I didn't even consider going up to the top because the way that my machines are positioned in my shop, they're all right there. And actually right now I only have it going to my bandsaw and table saw. And so since the um, intake is, is kind of at knee level, I just continued moving along until I hooked it up to the, both of my tools. There was no reason for me to go across my shop yet. If I ever get to build a dream shop, I would have in-floor, at least for the table saw, because I, I you know, whether whether I'm filming a video or not, I don't like the, uh, the table saw having a vertical that goes to the ceiling, just because if you have any type of miter saw station or, you know, any type of long material plywood, and you pick that up and you're, you're rotating, swinging that around, you're just you're you're waiting for you to knock into that dust collection. Um, if you're going, you know, especially like overarm dust collection where it comes almost completely from over the blade and goes right to the ceiling. So that's my major reason I don't want that. Um, but you know, I obviously I'm not in a dream shop right now, so just a hose along the floor and just realize that it's there because it is a trip hazard. But um, depending on how you route it. Now, granted, this is my opinion because my table saw is in the center of my shop. You know, I guess if somebody had their table saw in a different location, you know, it might not be a trip hazard. Yeah, like mine's not. It's on the backside of my saw. 
And so the only the only time it's remotely in the way is whenever I'm trying to use my bandsaw. But even then, it's it's not a bad it's not a bad deal because it's a flexible hose, so I can just very easily move it out of the way. And I like that because then I can I'm constantly rotating. Like if I'm not using my table saw, I like to engage the mobile base and move. Uh, change the orientation of it from sticking out into my shop to more against the wall. And I that flexible hose just makes it very easy to maneuver around. Regardless of what option you guys go with, though, I guess a couple things to consider is, uh, number one, you want to minimize the run for better performance. So if that means going over the ceiling and dropping, that you know that's, that might be better for you. Well, number two, make it convenient to use as far as blast gates and such like that. And number three, safety. Like, uh, me and Nick, we uh, both have a hose on the floor. Like mine is pretty much all piped in, but in order for the dust collector get to get to the center island that I have, there is one line that drops across the floor. But like Nick said, I know it's there. I pick up my feet when I walk around it, and it's not in a traffic area. It's in an area that 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 uh, uh, I'm transitioning between work areas if I need to pass over it. So it's not a something I have to cross over all the time. That's a good point bringing up the performance end of it too because if you have a 9 foot or 10 foot maybe even taller ceiling that vertical drop is going to make whatever dust collector you have work that much harder to be able to have to pull the chips up whether it's 8, 9, 10 feet vertically versus just horizontally 12 feet. So that's going to be a big performance factor difference. Good point. Yeah I noticed I had put a air my hose reel on the ceiling and in one of the shops in this week's video, I didn't even think about it whenever I was setting up the camera, but there is my little air attachment kind of just dangling in the in the frame. And I thought, darn it, I'm gonna have to pay attention to that from now on because it's something new. I'm not I'm not consciously thinking about it. Yeah. So that's a good that's a interesting point you made, Jay. All right. So we just ran through all the questions again. If you guys have any questions or comments, uh, be sure to stop by the website and fill out the contact form at the top. Uh, and we will be uh, notified of anything and maybe populate some of our notes with those questions or comments. Um, but as always, we want to remind you that there's a couple different ways to stay up to date with the podcast. You can go to thewoodworkingpodcast.com. You can find all of our contact information individually from there. And if you'd like to help support the show, there is a contribute button on the sidebar uh, and you can do so there. And we very much appreciate all the support. Uh, very, uh, it, it really does help keep this ball going. And uh, all again, also all the other uh, com- comments and kind words we get kind of behind the scenes is uh, it's very nice and we thank you for that as well. Uh, if you are on iTunes, you can subscribe to be notified of new episodes of the podcast and also Android and RSS links are on the website. And I guess that's it. So thanks for listening, you guys. Take care and we'll catch you on the next one. Have a good week. Talk to you guys later.